Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale October 6, 2021. I am Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, do you know what time it is? Uh, It's go time. It's go time <laughs> for us as the beginning of our spooky month of episodes begins here. We're going to come up with a different name for the show every week this month during October. This episode, we are calling it Marvel's Ghoul List. Love it. Yep. We're going to get into some creepy stories, some wonderful explorations of the spookier side of Marvel and whatnot. And to help us do that, our guest this week is who? Oh boy, it's the one and only Chris Gethard, and we are chatting with Chris about Captain America, Man and Wolf. It is the perfect story to kick off October. Some wonderful lycanthropy. Yeah, we're getting into it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to get into that. We have a bunch of fun episodes lined up for October uh, with great guests aplenty, and uh, I'm excited for it. Tucker, do you do anything for Halloween? Are you a, are you a Halloweener or are you a Halloweener? <laughs> I'm a Halloweener. I love it. I want to put up orange lights around my apartment, watch creepy movies. I am totally, totally ready. And so it's fitting that I'm going to be like upon time of recording. This will be the last episode that I'm recording out here in sunny California. Come on, had enough of that. Now we're going back to the chill, the fall weather of the East Coast. It's so nice over here right now. Beautiful, crisp, put on some some sweatshirts. Uh, You are a cinephile. We know this in this month. Do you have any movies that you're going to want to watch? Anything you're going to go into? Yeah. And it's actually, you know what? The swan song that we have here out in LA, the day before we leave to fly back to New York, we're going to the New Beverly Cinema to watch The Thing on 35 millimeter. I cannot wait. It's going to be the perfect, like, welcome back to the fall feeling. Yes. Everybody out there, go watch The Thing. I'm going to throw out a suggestion. Night of the Creeps. Have you ever seen it? No. I'm glad you're mentioning this, though, because I... As you brought up this conversation, I've made a mental note to ask you for a like list of recs to to bring in the fall. You know what? The best person to ask for um, scary movie recommendations is Mr. Ricky Purden. He Ooh. will have some incredible suggestions. He'll go real deep. Um, Night of the Creeps, though, is the one that I'm going to suggest right now. Let's move on because this is Marvel's ghoul list where we <laughs> tell you about all the new Marvel comics out this week. We give you our picks, the books that we are most excited about. Uh, we'll also give out some awards to the other comics and we'll tell you what's out on Marvel Unlimited, including the new Infinity. Infinity Comics on the app this week, and we'll tell you the collections and get into that reading club with Chris Gethard a little bit later. But for now, let's dive into our first pick, which is Amazing Spider-Man number 75. It is so good. Spidey, Peter Parker, been through a whole heck of a lot over the last couple of years, and he has a lot to process emotionally, physically, but he's Peter Parker. He's going to persevere. He's going to find a way to push on through. It is written by Zeb Wells, art by Patrick Gleason, colors by Marcio Meniz, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, as well as because this is the first part of the Spider-Man Beyond storyline, there's a whole group called the Beyond Board of creatives who are helping steer the ship for Amazing Spider-Man right now. So Zeb is is at the helm, but you've got Kelly Thompson, Cody Ziegler, Saladin Ahmed, Patrick Gleason, and Zeb. Uh, oh, 
unless we forget to mention our favorite boy, Niccolo, editor. So some really smart people. It's a, a wonderful start to a new era for Spider-Man, but it's also harrowing. You've got Spider-Man right away coming up against another Spider-Man. And if you have somehow missed it, it is the return of Ben Riley, the clone of Spider-Man who's been dead and come back and all kinds of stuff. And Ben Riley here, you know, now teamed up with the Beyond Corporation. This was was tipped off in our free comic book day issue. We've seen a little bit here and there, some stuff leading up to this. So we are full in seeing Peter and Ben together, Patrick Gleason doing some really beautiful work. There's a almost full page panel of Peter and Ben seeing each other out of costume for the first time that Patrick and Marcio draw and color. It's such a beautiful bit of business there. And the conversations between the two characters, what they're going through, how they can, will, should work with each other, and then actually seeing their dynamic together. Even though there's heavy stuff going on, there's conversations, there's different things, there's a level of fun to this book, to these characters, to the dialogue, to the action, to the just Spider-Man of it all that I was so happy to read here. It's such a wonderful start. You've got the Spideys together up against the UFOs who they get joked on, but they go toe-to-toe with the Hulk. And so that leads to some very intense things. I don't want to spoil much more, but there's a whole host of other stories in this issue. We've got the Daughters of the Dragon in here. We've got some side characters that are really tied to Ben Riley that show up. A whole bunch more. This is a massive issue as well. It's over 75 pages. So get ready. We're getting Amazing Spider-Man three times a month, I believe. Plenty more Spider-Man coming your way. Excellent, excellent stuff. So much to be excited about over there. And now I'm moving over to my pick this week. New Mutants number 22. You know, since Vita Ayala has taken over the book, it's just taken on a real life of its own. You know, I really feel like there's a whole, you know, soap opera unfolding in the, you know, New Mutants side of the island. One of the greatest compliments I think I could give any New Mutants issue is that it looks like a New Mutants issue. If you're a newer reader, I couldn't recommend more going back to the 1983 original series because of that, you know, auteur vision at the very, very start of this title. This book looks a certain way and the covers of New Mutants looks a certain way. And I think Rod Reese is the absolute perfect artist to make that happen. Rod has complete control over every element of the art. That means the pencils, the inks, the colors. So he can create a definitive composed piece that from top to bottom really captures the essence of what makes it so magic. Now in the story, there's been a lot happening revolving around Scout. Over the course of these last six, eight, 10 issues, we've seen the demise of this character. Now the rise of this character again, and sort of turning the wheel there is, of course, the Shadow King. With all that set up there, this issue is a big conflagration between the New Mutants and Emil Farouk. And the story is certainly not over. There's much more that needs to be told in here. But I think the way that this story has centered Shadow King as like a great, great X-Men villain, and then, you know, giving us this chapter of the story, it's all very impressively done. And like I said, it looks absolutely beautiful. So many of these pages works wonderfully as like an experimental art piece while simultaneously telling a linear story beautifully and very organically. Rod, Vita, and company, I think, do it wonderfully. 
New Mutants keeps getting better. Vita and Rod are doing some incredible work. It's fantastic. It's it's wonderful stuff. I hope everybody checks it out. And there's nothing that looks like it on the shelves anywhere. It's it's wonderful. All right, our third pick is Savage Avengers number 25, and it is written by Jerry Duggan, art by Patch Zercher, colors by Hava Tartaglia, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This is chapter 25, quote, the defilement of all things by the cannibal sorcerer Kulin Goth, end quote. Like, that's just a great title for a story. This is obviously the 25th chapter, and it's all been sort of leading to this story. But there's a second really, like, thick part of what's going on. Kulin Goth is one. He's killed just about everything. He is minutes away from ascending to cosmic status to go defile the rest of the universe like he has Earth. He's killed all the heroes. The only one left is Conan the Barbarian in Doctor <laughs> Doom's armor. How do you not want to read this if you are not reading this already? And then you bring in Kang the Conqueror. You get time travel. You get a cannibal sorcerer who is sitting on a throne surrounded by the, the weaponry of his fallen foes. It's so good. It's so upsetting. There is a really, really cool moment. If you are a fan of Incredible Hulk Future Imperfect, the classic by Peter David and George Perez, there's this famous scene that George draws of, it's not a trophy room because it's, I believe it's where Rick Jones is. He's like got the artifact. It's almost like a library of all the the pieces from the fallen heroes. And we get Kang teleporting Conan and Kang to Kang's fortress time travel ship thing. And it's a similar aesthetic. Throughout time, Kang has acquired all the weapons, all the items of power and different things. So, you know, you see various shields and suits of armor, Juggernaut's helmet, Green Goblin's mask. Omega the Unknown has a little cameo in here. Uh, we have an episode about Omega the Unknown from um, last year, I believe. If anybody wants to read that and learn a little bit more about Omega. But that was really cool. It's one of those little touches that I adored about this issue. But the idea is that Kang and Conan have to team up to try to take down Cool and Goth. They make their move and some things happen. I remember going back into the creative retreats when the whole Marvel editorial team heard Conan can be in the Marvel universe again. And everybody was like, wait, what? And like Jerry was like, can we play with Cool and Goth? Like that was one of the first things. The wheels were turning years ago. And to see how far it's come. And how horrible a person Jerry is and the things he's done to our beloved Marvel heroes. I love it so much. This is damn near perfect for your old pal, Agent M. Wonderful stuff. Um, now we're diving into all the fresh floppies coming your way this week. Uh, before we do, to name this week's Pulist Award that we're going to be handing out, Ryan, I have a question. Who's the definitive Hobgoblin? Is it Roderick Kingsley? Like the original? Is it Ned Leeds? Roderick Kingsley is the name that I think of, right? but Jason Mackendale's probably mm -hmm. up there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It kind of depends on your era, but yeah, Roderick Kingsley, because I think he was the first. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Regardless, not necessarily staking the claim that he is the definitive Hobgoblin, but the fact that he came first means that I will be giving out the uh, first uh, Roderick Kingsley Memorial Orange Prize to Avengers Tech on number three, I think of of how 
much I respect and enjoy Jim Zub as a writer. And then to see Jeffrey Chamba Cruz put this art together, it really stuck out to me in a, in a wonderful way. Obviously, it's a unique take. It's a unique pitch. It's a unique idea for a book. This is just one of those that looks unlike anything else. And I just respect the hell out of any artist that can put together a book that stands out amidst so much great art on any given week, any given month. So shout out to Jeffrey Chamba Cruz and his art in this issue, who is the recipient of my R-K-M-O-P. <laughs> <laughs> You got it? You sure? <laughs> All right, we've got Captain Marvel number 33 out this week. And this last of the Marvel storyline is so good. Kelly Thompson's been writing incredible Captain Marvel stories for the last almost three years. And it's just so good. And she's like, as she keeps bringing threads back around and bringing characters back around and bringing in stuff from the outside the Marvel Universe and lifting us up and crashing us down, it's been so good. I think I want to give my Roderick Kingsley Memorial Orange Prize to Carol's big auntie energy in here with Kamala. It opens up where like there are these almost wraiths that have come to capture Kamala. They're trying to turn all the Marvels, quote unquote, uh, all the Captain's Marvel, or Ms. Marvel, all of them against Carol. And so they're trying to get Kamala. And so Carol is trying to protect Kamala. And, you know, when push, she's like, Kamala's knocked out. She's like, come on, wake up, sweetie. We gotta, we gotta go. We gotta do this. Just like the the you can feel that love for Kamala, but also understanding that like they can stand side by side and kick ass together. It's it's wonderful. Absolutely. Next up, we have Champions number 10. This is the finale of Champions for now. And it concludes the killer app story arc. Luciano Vecchio is doing some of the most unique, most idiosyncratic most specific work out there. And he just deserves all the respect in the world. You can just feel the effort in every single panel, every page. You see the level of detail that he's working with, but that it doesn't get bogged down in, in that at all. It doesn't get lost in the minutia. You still feel the energy of it. You still get the big moments. You still get those character moments all coming through. And yeah, I think this is a totally deserving finale for this 10-issue story. I'm sad to see it go, but I know that everybody who has helped contribute to this series is going on to do many, many other things at the House of Ideas. So cheers, a clink of the glass to everyone involved, and a Roderick Kingsley Memorial Orange prize to Luciano on this one. What a talent. Mm -hmm. All right. Another great issue out this week is Dark Ages number two. We are big Tom Taylor aficionados over here. We are big fans of Ivan Coelho over here. This is, as Nicolo would say, this is the tasty juice. It's real good. This is the, a world in which there is no electricity. And there's been tragedy. There's billions have died and all kinds of horrible stuff. But out of the tragedy, there's not a wasteland of, of horror there's almost a utopian society in some ways in different places that has popped up. So we're getting to see how society is flourishing here. We're also getting to see the threats that still menace humanity here. It's a lot of great world building and terrifying things that are coming to bear upon all of our amazing heroes. Uh, and of course, Tom Taylor gives us uh, Laura and Gabby together. That's all I could ask for. That's where I'm going to give my Roderick Kingsley Memorial Orange Prize to is to seeing Laura and Gabby together, suited up, 
having a good time in the pages of a comic written by Tom Taylor. So good. Next up, we have Deadpool, Black, White, and Blood, number three. This issue, as all of these are, is comprised of multiple stories. Uh, in this case, uh, we have the first one, which is called The Worst Convent in the World. That is written by Jay Baruchel, uh, with art by Pac Medina, colors by Federico Blee, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. You might be familiar with Jay from a million different movies and TV shows. Really, really funny uh, actor, and he jumps on board as a writer on this one. So the next story we have in here is called The Bet, and that is brought to you by who else but Mr. Frank Thierry, with art by Takashi Okazaki and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is like such a Frank Thierry told story, meaning it's just like so ruthless and efficient and- And darkly funny. Exactly, 100%. It is so good. Um, The art is gorgeous. Takashi, oh my God, Uh, shout out. There's some beautiful stuff in there. And it's just like told in a really unique way where like sometimes where different characters pop up, there's like a visual element to it that I really love. I thought was delightful and funny. And then the third story in here is called The Perfect Ones that's written with art and letters all by Stan Sakai with colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. And we're seeing Deadpool essentially like across the ages, across times, across like different periods with different weapons, really, really like light on the dialogue, which is really fun. It's very heavily visually told story. This is another one of those that I just think is so spectacular, so much fun. Shout out to the editorial team behind this because it must be a huge, huge task to make it all happen. But every single time, it's so, so good. I love it. Let's move on to another certified Agent M banger, which is Defenders number three. Holy moly. This book is absolutely weird. I love it so much. <laughs> it is perfect for me. The colors are so gorgeous and they pop off the page. You got pinks and purples and blues and greens and and like it's so vibrant. This is a story of a mismatched group of heroes, aka the Defenders, coming together to deal with some weird stuff. Like that's the best way to put it. There's just weird stuff. A weird group of characters come together. And in this one, they are traveling back in time. And they're not just traveling back in time. They are going from like previous multiverse to multiverse. So we are in the quote unquote eighth cosmos. They've gone from the eighth to the seventh, the seventh to the sixth, the sixth being the one that originated Gallon of Ta, who would eventually go on to become Galactus. So they picked up Galactus's mom to be part of their team. She's just this amazing science hero who's like down to have fun, flirt, to get it on, to do some science, to be amazing. She's a wonderful character. And then they've now gone to the previous cosmos before that, the fifth cosmos, which is all about magic. So you let Javier Rodriguez just go bananas with his designs and coloring. And it is, this book is so bursting at the seams with ideas and concepts and creativity. It's something special. I will give my Roderick Kingsley Memorial Orange Prize to the kind of dog-like creatures that Javier designs in this issue. It's a a near-perfect comic for me. Absolutely agreed. And the last book I'm touching on this week is Eternals Celestia, number one. Obviously, Kieran Gillen, one of the most masterful out there. The big focus I want to touch on is the art of Kai Zama. I think the first two pages sort of encapsulate it beautifully, Honestly, maybe even just the first page alone, because we go from a super close up of someone crying and then we pull out 
And then we're at this huge, enormous vista, this could not be bigger scale level of storytelling within like 20 words. There is that total command, that total balance all the way through. This is the kind of art I love. This is what I love to read. This is what I love to see. It's simultaneously very modern, very, very fine lines, really, really expressive and beautiful while also having some of these pages that are just so Kirby-esque and wonderful, beautiful stuff. I also want to shout out right alongside Kai, colorist Matthew Wilson, uh, one of the best in the business. Cannot say enough about how gorgeous this book is. What a masterful issue. I think something to be super proud of from everybody involved. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Hell yeah. All right, we've got Excalibur number 24. This issue in particular feels like a big turning point for a certain corner of Marvel stories. So partially mutant stuff, but also partially like sword and sorcery type stuff that revolves around Merlin and, and, and Arthur and the Black Knight and all kinds of stuff that has been happening in other books. And here it's coming together and you mix all that. And so there's like big sense of war happening around these characters. But my Roderick Kingsley Memorial Orange Prize goes to Mad Jim Jaspers, a wonderful character who's been around for quite a long time. He kind of like can mess with all kinds of reality, essentially. One of the most powerful beings in the Marvel Universe. And um, he lays the smack down on Gambit in this issue and forever becomes one of my favorite characters because Gambit crosses him and Mad Jim Jaspers says, oh, no, 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 Remy the Bow. <laughs> and it's a really funny, funny, funny part. Awesome. Uh, all right. Wrapping things up this week with Hellions number 16. Maybe it's just me, but I felt like this issue is like a perfect sort of Halloween-y read in a way. And it made me think like, oh, probably all of Hellions is simultaneously. I think there's something about the the cackling villainy of Mr. Sinister behind it all that I think is just so, it just it gives me like those warm, fuzzy, uh, love to hate them type feels that like a lot of good horror movies or things like that have. Anyway, my uh, uh, Roderick Kingsley Memorial Orange Ward goes to, probably goes to Nanny. It also goes to Zeb. <laughs> it also goes to Steven Segovia for some wonderful, wonderful art in here. This has been such a fun ride. This is a great issue. There's still more story to be told, still new places to go, new things to explore here, but uh, another really, really great issue of Hellions. Seriously, so dang good. All right, we have a whole bunch more. I'm going to tell you first about Marvel Unlimited because over on Marvel Unlimited, there's plenty of comics on the app this week. We've got issue four of Beta Ray Bill. We've got the Black Cat Annual. We've got a great issue of Eternals, Eternals number five. And of course, X-Factor number 10, all these books and plenty more that I want you to check out over on MU. But also there are six Infinity Comics on Marvel Unlimited this week. So you've got new issues of X-Men Unlimited. I've got Venom Carnage Infinity Comic, Deadpool Infinity Comic. It's Jeff Infinity Comic. And it's so good. Giant Size Little Marvels. But there's a launch this week as well. The first issue of the Ghost Rider Infinity Comic hits this week. It is written by Taboo and B. Earl with art by Guillermo Sana, as well as Vanessa Del Rey. Colors by Jordi Belair and edited by our pal Sarah Brunstad. It's great. We're going to have Taboo and B. Earl here on the podcast soon. 
I'm excited for this. Uh, so I want you all to check that out. It's it's brand new. Uh, and you can get all that. You go to marvel.com slash unlimited to check out all the details about MU. Just go in and subscribe. Come on. If you're not a subscriber right now, hit me up at Agent M on Twitter. I'm happy to talk. Let me see what I can do for you. Nice. Uh, all right. And then uh, look it over towards collections. And my eyes immediately go to Runaways by Rainbow Rowell, Volume 6. Come away with me. One of the finest Marvel mags in recent years. Any chance you get to read that in collected edition or hell anywhere, I say go do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think it is time for our reading club. Once again, who are we talking to? We are chatting with Mr. Chris Gethard about Captain America Man and Wolf, the Mark Grunwald spectacular here this October. Wonderful werewolf spirit wonderful story and we really dig into some marvel mania some marvel minutiae with chris so let's go head off and do that right now tucker hold on to your butt it is time for a reading club. And this is going to be a great one on many levels. One, we've got a fantastic run to talk about, but our guest is a favorite of both of ours. Welcome to the show, Chris Gethard. Hi. I'm so psyched to be here uh, talking about comic books. As you've known for many years now, any chance I get, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Chris, I think the, since the last time we talked to you, um, I can't believe it's been this long. You you have a child, so yeah. congratulations Thanks. on having a kid. Yeah. I also want to say congratulations on the new special. Uh, Thanks. Just, as a time of recording, you just released a, a new special. Yeah, it's called Half My Life. People can find it and download it from like Amazon and Apple and Vimeo and stuff, and pretty proud of it. Look, I think anyone who might be a Marvel podcast listener this week in Marvel certainly knows that you, Chris Gethard, are a huge comic book fan um, and have been for a very, very long time. So in that vein, I'm curious where the book we're reading today, which is Captain America, Man and Wolf, which kicks off in Captain America number 402 <laughs> for those listeners out there. Where did this fall in your, your lineage and your time of reading comics? Basically, I think just like it has for a lot of people, Marvel Unlimited has changed the game for me. And I know here I am like plugging it on a Marvel podcast, but they crushed it with this product. <laughs> and it's allowed me to just go back and read a lot of stuff that I missed growing up or a lot of stuff that came out before I was a reader, stuff I couldn't find. And I did read Grunewald's Captain America run. For me, I was a huge X-Men kid, Spider-Man kid. And Captain America was sort of the third in line for me. I think, right, most 80s, 90s comics fans, Marvel's fans, they're going to say X-Men, Spider-Man. Then from there, it's probably, what's your third, fourth thing where it gets interesting? And I remember the Bloodstone hunt was the storyline that was happening when I first was locking into comics. And I, I remember the covers were really cool. And the idea that it was like part one of six or whatever it was, like that to me was like, oh, there's going to be five more of these. Like I, I, it helped me understand comic books and arcs and things like that. And I would always pick up Cap. And then basically very recently, just finished doing this, Marvel Unlimited, I had never read Simonson's Thor. Blew my mind, obviously. And there's this dialogue out there where people go, you know, there's Claremont's X-Men and Miller's Daredevil and Simonson's Thor. But if none of those things existed, Grunewald's Captain America, we would all be talking about it. 
that epic Grunewald run. And that was such a thing that I kept seeing the more I would like, you know, obsess over Simonson's story that I said, I think I'm going to go back and reread Mark Grunewald's entire Captain America run, which is a massive amount of issues. It was years and years and years. And I think just finished reading it on the app about a month or two ago. So I just reread Cap Wolf and I remember Cap Wolf when it came out. And I am aware of the backlash to Cap Wolf. And I feel like it's become sort of a notorious punchline. But I actually have very layered opinions on it, having just reread the entire run. And I cannot wait to see what you two fine folks think. Because there's a lot of weird stuff to say about this. (laughs) Oh, boy. Heck yeah. I'm very excited by this. Um, you, You know, we're very similar in age, very similar in, like, the way we grew up reading comics, I think. And so I didn't read almost any Avenger stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I had one issue of Cap Wolf and maybe something else, but this is almost a full like blank spot in my mind. Tucker, have you read much of Grunewald's Cap? Not really. And I, it, it's funny because it's certainly one of those that's like super loaded going into a reading experience. And you know, not just what Mark Grunewald meant to Captain America, but what Mark Grunewald meant to Marvel Comics and then what Captain America meant to Mark Grunewald as well which all really informed that experience overall. So yeah, this was a really interesting one. And I was super psyched to kick this off because I may not have had too much experience with this run before, but I am a huge John Jameson fan. I love, love John Jameson. Always have. (laughs) This is why I love talking to other Marvel fans because you hear sentences like that. (laughs) The depths of Marvel that you can say, I'm a huge John Jameson fan. I'm like, this is why Marvel is the best. It really is. Uh, Chris, one of the things we like to do on the show is to ask our guest to do a 30-second summary of the story we're reading of these seven issues. Okay. All right. Three, two, one. Captain America meets up with Dr. Druid, who's kind of like the Avengers bootleg Dr. Strange. (laughs) There's some other bad guy who's in the Dr. Druid world. He's turning everybody into wolves. Cap gets turned into a wolf. There's all sorts of wolf stuff. John Jameson is involved because he has a wolf history. A lot of wolves. It's long been it's long been reviled, but it's actually so clowned that it's weirdly underrated. Yeah, we'll accept it. You hit the thirty seconds. Um, let's give the credits real quick for this. As we mentioned, it's written by Mark Grunwald, art by Rick Levins. Through most of these inks, at least starting out, by Danny Bolinati. Letters by Joe Rosen, which made me real happy. Joe Rosen's letters uh, and the lettering of this era in 1992 just hits like a certain sweet spot. They just look so perfect to my eyes. Colors by Gina Going. And I wanted to point out the editor on this run is Ralph Macchio, among others. Ralph was, I mean, his longtime editor on Cap and so many books. Thor, as you mentioned, and seen so much and done so much. In this run, we actually hit the 100th issue of Grunewald's like, time on Captain America. He goes for a full... Almost 140 issues total. It's probably close to 130 all told. So that's 10-ish years of Captain America stories. And here he's just like full throttle. It's so good. It's a really interesting run to read start to finish. Remembering Cap Wolf when I was a kid and having that reaction of like seeing the covers and being like, what? (laughs) Marvel's always had such a fantastic sense of humor about itself. And when things are kind of wonky or don't work, 
Marvel historically has such a good time calling that out down the line. And Cap Wolf, I feel like gets put in that combo. Reading it in the context of the 10 plus years of Grunewald's run, though, it was different. Well, I, I want to mention Grunewald's first issue was 307. And the thing I just noticed that his first issue, he named it after a talking head. Uh, he named it Stop Making Sense. And like Mark Grunewald, a little weird, a little fun. He's got a lot of like interesting quirks and sensibilities about his pop culture knowledge. And and like it feeds in here and there. I'm sure as you read that 10 years of run, I'm sure you, you picked up a lot of that stuff. But I found that interesting because you don't see that kind of reference in the title of a story unless you're like one of our other writers, Matt Rosenberg or something like that. There's just one thing I have to say about this whole run that I've never actually heard anybody talk about, if I may. Please. Reading it start to finish, the thing that kind of blew me away that I did not remember as a kid, he has so many issues that have backup stories that have your like old school, like seven or eight page story. And he does this great job. First of all, he expands the rogue gallery in a huge way. The Serpent Society, Flag Smasher is so awesome, looks awesome. And he has some Red Skull stuff in there, but he also introduces Crossbones, who is so badass. But then all of Cap's allies throughout these run feature in these B stories. So you've got Diamondback, obviously. And then you've got not just U.S. Agent, who that's like the high point of the whole run, but his sidekick, Battlestar, gets B-stories. Falcon, the weird German analogous Captain America with like his little mini German Avengers crew, they show up in these B-stories. And you go, Spider-Man had like how many titles? X-Men had how many titles? And there was just one Captain America, but he built this sandbox within that one title that's so impressive to see. And it becomes this whole world. In the context of that having been Grunewald sort of secretly building this thing, it does make a lot more sense to hang your hat on Dr. Druid being a key cog. Right there, it ups the game on the Catwolf stuff. Because, listen, I don't know if other creators have sunk their teeth into Dr. Druid in a way I don't know about. This happens sometimes where characters that were kind of cheese when I was a kid, all of a sudden they're great now, you know? But it makes more sense to have Dr. Druid be so heavily featured when you realize Grunewald is making Cap like a community guy and, and building a web of people. Around. So right there. I just wanted to get that out because I wanted to gush over that a little bit. The first issue of this arc, to me, is a masterclass on showing how the Marvel Universe works in the sense of, like, you have Cap's community, but you also just see how deftly he moves between all parts of his life and superheroes and the Marvel Universe. And he's got this friend who does this thing, and they mention this thing. And, like, you don't have to know about that stuff, but you are automatically brought into a larger world. And there's that sense of, like, Every comic is somebody's first. Somebody may just happen upon our show, strangely enough, and be like, they're reading where Captain America becomes a werewolf. All right, the first comic book I'm ever going to read is Captain America 402. And if they do, they're just going to see like, oh man, who's Dennis Dunphy? What's his deal? Oh man, man. who are all these? I love (laughs) D-Man so... Like D-Man and Dr. Druid, I'm bouncing off a tangent, but for me as a kid, I looked at them and I was like, I want to know more about them. But like there was an Avenger who had like a pot belly and he was kind of like a magic guy and his, he had a um, kind of bald head and that was Dr. Druid here. He's got like, you know, they plussed him up a little bit. They made him look all, you know, long hair, fancy guy. But 
him and D-Man were two of those characters. I was like, I love these guys just based on their looks. Yeah, I, I was immediately like just grabbed by issue 402 and the fact of like you're just seeing Mark be like, this is how you do it. This is how you you show how much of a part of the world he is and how many other things are a part of Captain America's world. Also, it comes off right after Apparition Galactic Storm. What was your take from reading the cap issues of, of all that stuff right into this? Um, it was a little tough. One of the things that I think is so cool about Grunewald's run is Captain America has a very, very stated goal during this run of, I'm Captain America. I'm not Captain New York City, which I think is just a very cool perspective of him going like, I am a guy, but I'm also a symbol. And I'm supposed to be a symbol in Arkansas as much as I am Manhattan and and Kansas and and Oregon and he just kind of rides around on his motorcycle a lot and goes around the country and has very, very small human adventures. And the stuff about Galactic Storm, that was a little tough. Because And there's other big stuff in there, too. I mean, there's also a well-earned storyline where he goes to an island that AIM owns and there's hundreds of villains there. And, like, there's big stuff, too. But there's all these sort of, like, let's go to these far-flung corners of the country and have small adventures. And I feel like that is maybe part of why Cap Wolf maybe took it on the chin a little bit because Galactic Storm kind of disrupts that. I have to imagine, and you would know better than I would, I'd have to imagine that at times it could be frustrating being a Marvel writer, especially of this era, when you're like, hey, I'm building something here and I've been building it for years, but then a mandate comes down that goes, well, we got our next big thing. Everybody has to be in space for these months. And you're like, but... I'm trying to have him fight a misguided environmentalist in the Pacific Northwest right now. Nope, the Cree are back at it again. You know, like, I have to imagine that has to be very tough to have that editorial mandate when you're doing what Mark Grunewald's doing. And then the werewolf stuff comes after that. So it kind of broke up this nice vibe and tone. And I think maybe makes the werewolf stuff feel weird again, but... It really is just sort of him. To me, it felt like when I reread it a few months ago of like, it feels like Mark Grunewald kind of went, I mean, I just have Captain America stumble into like a Twilight zone horror arc. Let's do a horror. Let's see what happens if Captain America is the protagonist in a horror movie. But in the context of what Grunewald had been doing for 10 years, I liked it. I, and you guys tell me, am I being crazy? Is this revisionist history? I read it. I was like, I know this has been made fun of for years. I remember thinking it was silly as a kid. when Because I've owned these issues. These issues are in a bin somewhere in my garage right now. Read it now. I was like, it's pretty charming and pretty fun. And it moves like a movie. It moves like a horror movie. I don't know if I'm in <laughs> though. I have so much to say. One, Operation Galactic Storm. I think it's just hilarious that they literally just... Yep. Did a Marvel version of Operation Desert Storm. That's like doing... The world outside your window, Tucker. Come on. Can I tell you something? Yeah. It's 2021. It's the first time I realized that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one. And that really freaks my bean. Two, I think you're so right. And for the listeners, when Chris asked if there was... If he was being crazy... There were big shakes of the head from both Ryan and I. Here's a crucial element of that horror story, of that horror element that this is the number one thing I was thinking about when I was reading, is that 
I've read a bunch of historical cap and even some contemporary cap that fall into this category, but I've done it in a way that is like kind of perfectly juked me out of understanding how deep a history there is of these kind of Captain America stories. Because I think the first one that I read just like in this sort of world was Nick Spencer's Cap Wolf story with Sam Wilson from 2015. The whole thing with that is Cap Wolf is back. I didn't really understand what the back part was or the history or just like any of the exactly you're saying, the relation of Captain America, like leader of the Avengers, World War II vet to werewolves or any of that kind of stuff. So I read that one. And then on the show, we had writer Philip Kennedy Johnson on and we revisited Captain America 253 and I think 254, which is a stern burn cap story. The Baron Blood arc. Yes, exactly. The, the Baron Blood infamous arc. infamous where Cap beheads Baron Blood. Yeah. yeah. And so I read that second, but like in terms of Captain America history, that came first. So reading this one now, slotted it right in between those two. And I'm certain I'm missing a ton in that lineage, but like just time-wise, something from you know, the early 80s and then something from the early 90s and then something from the mid-2010s, that pattern has emerged in this bizarre way to me that makes me go, oh, it's normal for Cap to be involved in like horror stories, involved with vampires and werewolves and the undead and all of these things. And it makes me like hunger for more of that. So, Tucker, you may know this, and I don't know if this is going to blow your mind, Chris, but... The last issues of Captain America's comics in the 40s or 50s were straight up horror issues. One of the last stories is Captain America going to hell and fighting the Red Skull. And it's like twisted, nightmare, weird stuff before the Comics Code Authority came in. Like, so the lineage and the history for Cap doing weird horror stuff is there. Wow. So, what I think is so cool is. Marrying the horror aspect with that, like, very personal and small, I say small, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way, like a small story in a small town with just a couple characters. Like, I love a good big story that means a lot, but I also love when, you know, Cap's just trying to find his friend and he runs into some werewolves. It's fantastic. And marrying all that here, I'm with you guys. I freaking loved this. I had a blast with this. And I remember, you know, especially like Wizard made fun of it back in the day. Like everybody was like, they turned Captain America into a werewolf. And you have that cover of him. But like, read the book. I'd go so far as to say, first of all, the John Walker stuff in this run, really, really brilliant like moves like i would i would be up reading it in bed being like i have to stop and go to sleep cuz this is great this idea of like who knows how many times it happened before and i know he had quit being captain america around the nixon years but this idea of like a government commission is telling me what i have to be as captain america but i guess i just won't be captain america anymore and that's part of what i believe captain america should be like Great. And then being replaced by this maniac and all the villains he's introducing and the watchdogs shocking violence, like actual shocking violence in that stretch in particular. I'm going to go ahead and say out of the 10 year run, this seven issue arc is top five stretches of Mark Grunewald's 10 years run, in my opinion. Like the John Walker stuff's head and shoulders above everything else, but this stands out as another hot streak. The one thing that I have to call out, which if you ever decide to read this whole run, 
it will now be in your head. Mark Grunewald had what can only be termed an addiction to having characters refer to each other by the first syllable of their name with a Y at the end. Characters will call crossbones crossy. Crossbones will turn around and call Diamondback Dimey. They'll all call Cap Cappy. Everyone's calling Skull Scully all the time. They call Battlestar Starry all the time, or they call him Batty. Grunewald relentlessly and obsessively does this for 10 years. Uh, anyway, I'm rambling about this run, which was a really, really fascinating run to read. But uh, there's some mistakes in this run. There's some high points in this run. And I would say this is absolutely one of the high points. And I say that in a very genuine way. Catwolf's kind of the ska of comic books. It's, <laughs> wow. it's of the 90s and we all roll our eyes at it. But when you go back and actually experience it, a lot of it's actually good and it was catchy for a reason. Yeah, I, I feel like we need to, the world needs to shine more love on Mark Grunewald because Mark, he wrote, you know, the 10 years of Captain America, he wrote on a ton of books. He was also editing a ton of books. So his stamp is on a lot more than many people might think. Mark Grunewald should be appreciated even more than he is. Marvel Unlimited also, I'd never read Squadron Supreme. I read it a few months before, part of why I wanted to go back and read his entire cap run, but Squadron Supreme, oh my Lord, that is better than anyone. I mean, people, it's talked about as this thing of like, oh my God, it's great, but it shows that when you Google like most underrated Marvel stories, it comes up. One of the things I wanted to also suggest to you, Chris, is Quasar. I don't know if you're a cosmic guy, but Mark Grunewald was contemporaneously with Captain America writing Quasar, and it is wild and it's weird. If you like alternate reality stuff, if you like cosmic stuff, if you like big swings and weird ideas, Grunewald's Quasar is so good. And it also has art by a young Greg Capullo who um, has gone on to be one of the, the greatest artists in comics over the last 10 years. You're asking me if I like cosmic stuff. Let me just say, you make my hero fight Terax. I'm enjoying that. And you're talking to somebody who has long said that Silver Surfer number 48 is one of the best individual standalone issues of a comic he's ever read. So I'll get on board with Grunewald's Quasar. It's really, really interesting because I don't want people to listen to this and go, oh, I have a chance to go discover the next Claremont's X-Men. That I didn't. It's not that. Mark Grunewald, was, he, there's a reason it's not in the same breath as the Frank Miller Daredevil and all that stuff. There is a reason and you'll see it immediately. But when you commit to it, you go, wow. He had so many ideas. He's really great. And, you know, I've, in reading about his run, when I got like obsessive about it, people were like, yeah, it's really wordy. And it is. And Cap goes on these long monologues too often. And he does. There's some clunkiness there. I'm not going to pretend there's not. But there's a lot of stuff that was way more advanced beyond what you would have thought Captain America in the 80s and 90s was doing throughout this whole run. And the werewolf stuff is pretty great. It's fun. It's really fun. Ryan, tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, a lot of the reason why we see what Chris is saying in Grunewald's long time with this character is because he was an in-house guy. Right. So that had to do a lot with like him just being on hand and being able to take care of these these stories. Yeah. I mean, he was an editor at the time. I don't know all the books he was editing at this moment, right. but it was the era where you could be an editor and be a writer at the same time. Right. I did have a question going back to some of the other creators. Got to give credit where it's due and say Peter David on Hulk. You can't forget that. Yes. That has yeah. to be one of the longer ones, right? 
Yeah, that that's pretty long. Um, was that longer than Grunewald on Captain America? Uh, Peter David's Hulk run was 12 years. So they're they're close. Grunewald may have more number of issues because part of what they did, Cap was running at certain points every other week. And that's part of the reason why we get the backup stories, because you need to give the main story penciler time to run so that the main stories are a little bit shorter. Then you have a backup story to fill up some of that space that ends up allowing him to flesh out the world that you were talking about, Chris. Like it, it actually works in their favor so much to build this great universe. It's really cool stuff. Grunwald was, uh, he was kind of a mad tinkerer more than I knew as a teen. Definitely. And I think part of it is what we said right at the beginning, X-Men and Spider-Man. They took up so much room and they had the flashiest artists. They had the biggest swings. They were selling the most copies. They just took up most of the real estate for a lot of comics. And so like the Avengers weren't the Avengers we think of today in terms of, of how much room they had in fans' brains. If it was different, if if Mark Grunewald was right, it was able to write Avengers with the level that the Avengers are recognized now, that would be wild. The last thing that I, that, I, that comes to mind in part four of this, there's the Cap transformation, werewolf transformation sort of spread, and it's sort of a like American werewolf in London moment where you see you know the the eyes dilate and you know, the snout kind of come out. It got me thinking because to this day, seeing an artist draw any kind of animal can be a total wild card. <laughs> it, like you can, like sometimes if you see rocket raccoon pop up, sometimes if you see a random bear or dog or wolf, you go, oh, this artist is definitely way more used to drawing human beings. So Rick Levins, I think, in these moments, and obviously for a story where it's so crucial, I think crushes that. And that's like a huge element to it. Again, in the context of what can be like just a difficult challenge. And I, I, I would even say a notoriously difficult challenge to capture a very specific look and something that's like, you know, one of those uncanny valley things that we all know what it's supposed to look like, but actually seeing that realized in a comic is very, very, very difficult. So Rick Levins standing right alongside Mark Runewald, I think really, really held this story up well. If I had to sum it up in a sentence to convince people to give this a second chance after all the years of it being like a punchline, I would say, remember how much you liked the first few seasons of True Blood when it was like campy, sticky horror stuff, but then you realized, oh, actually there's a lot of smart stuff behind this. Imagine the first two or three seasons of True Blood inexplicably with Captain America as the protagonist. <laughs> and that's what this is. Yeah. Uh, there's werewolves. There's Nightshade, whose rad character has popped up a little bit. She's wild. There's weird druid, mag like very specific druidic magic stuff going on in this arc. Cable shows up and is a total tool. Wolverine shows up and barely does anything because he gets ensorcelled really quickly. Nineties. Uh, you get Captain America like fighting through the pain to try to talk and then getting taught to speak as a wolf, which is I love it. <laughs> it's it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Um, yeah, highly suggest everybody check this out. Look, rainy day. You got an hour. 
seven issues of Captain America sandwiched between two giant, big, wonderful Marvel events, Operation Galactic Storm on one end, Infinity War on the other, which is, we did we, we haven't talked about that yet, that the epilogue issue, 408, is also an Infinity War tie-in, which I, I was like, wait a minute, this is the epilogue? Like, they had to editorially, like, make sure you get Captain America's doppelganger, because that month, everybody had to have a doppelganger show up, and and there's all kinds of weird stuff in there. It's tremendous. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, we talk about the art a little bit, and you mentioned Levin's. To me, I look at it, it is very of its time, like early 90s, like Marvel hero art. They had Kieran Dwyer did a lot of art, especially during, yeah. I, I was just going to say, art. Kieran Dwyer's, was, that was not a name I knew, mm. even as a longtime comic book fan. And then seeing his art in this, I was reading it and- I've always been much more of a story. Like my brain doesn't always lock in visually as much as like I want the words in the story. I was very, very impressed by Kieran Dwyer's art in the early part of Greenwald's run. Really, really good. Yeah, and he's there for some of the best stuff, the the John Walker stuff. He's uh, the artist on my favorite issue of the run, which is the Acts of Vengeance issue, which Could talk I, all day. I've talked about many times. It's like all the villains get together and they're like, we're going to swap heroes. And they high five and they're like, all right, Magneto, <laughs> you, you, you're going to go take down Captain America. And he's like, with the Red Skull? I'm going to take the, this, I'm going to squish the Red Skull in a giant piece of metal. I think Acts of Vengeance, if I remember right, also leads to one of my, what I would say is one of the funniest issues of a Marvel comic ever is the issue of Fantastic Four, where they have to go testify before Congress and everyone in the gallery is like a C-level Marvel villain, which is one of my favorite things Marvel's willing to do. I'm like, oh wait, everybody is in a trench coat in that, oh, it's Stilt Man and Plant Man. Probably somebody named the Eel, probably, who knows? And that issue in there. Kieran Dwyer's art is really great in the early half of that run, for sure. It's very impressive. Tucker, you should do a feature on the site about Cap's careers. Yeah. Because this is the 80th anniversary of Captain America. It's Cop. Obviously, he was in the army. Uh, he was a, a comic book artist, advertising uh, illustrator. That's what he switched from uh, yeah. over to comic books from. And then eventually, somebody realized maybe Captain America's job could just be Captain America. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a lot on his plate. Similar though, Simonson did the same thing with Thor, right? Like so early on, he's like, "Okay, so here's the thing about Thor, Thor's alter ego is he's Thor. He's gonna have a hammer and fly around and be Thor." And anyway, let's move on. You're like, yes, yes, yes. Sometimes you can get away with it. Yeah, those those ownership moments, I think, are very crucial and a, and a key piece of the puzzle in something like this. And something that, you know, when I look back, I feel like the lows make me appreciate the highs even more. Well said. <laughs> Chris, thank you for coming and talking about some great comics and just being so effusive and, and standing up for for what you dig. Appreciate it. Anytime I was giddy because I couldn't, I reread it. It's one of those things where you read it and you're a few issues into the seven issues and you start going, when does it get terrible? Because I remember this being regarded as terrible and I'm having fun. There's nothing about it that's more ridiculous than an average superhero comic book. Like it's weird that it's like kind of a a punchline because it's actually, I would say, an above average 90s superhero arc. So thanks for letting me go to bat for it. 
Scar, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. At your local comic shop or on Marvel. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, guys. That was so fun. Thank you once more to Chris Gethard for joining us. A Marvel favorite for us and for many others. You know, I realized after we had that conversation, there was one lingering cue that I didn't get him to A that I really wish I would have, which is who is the most New Jersey Marvel character? I don't know when or where, but I'm going to have to accost him on the street or something. I need to get his perspective, his authoritative opinion on that. Ryan, real quick, most Mm. Long Island Marvel character? Does anybody come to mind? Yeah, it's um, Rich Ryder, Nova. He's from Long Island, bro. Come on. Blue Blazes. I mean, that's a good one. That's a good name. That's pretty good. That's a good name. (laughs) It's not bad. Not bad at all. And if you enjoyed this reading club, be sure to check out Chris Gethard's guest appearance on Marvel Method, where he talks about Simonson's Thor run and Peter David's X Factor. All right, that's it for us this week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jasmine Estrada, with help from Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List audio development manager. And, you know, uh, it, it's crazy because years ago, a young Brad Barton lost a bet had to have a tattoo of Cap Wolf done on his inner left thigh. Uh, and like as a like a lost a bet. But you know what? The joke's on everyone else because Cap Wolf has aged wonderfully. It is a terrific story. That tattoo looks real great, even though kind of a weird place for it, Brad. Sure. Kind of a weird place for it. I'm Ryan. <laughs> and I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.